Welcome to this series from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. Very humbled and very honored to be here uh, with you all this morning. Uh, as you guys heard, my name's Chad Williams, former Navy SEAL. And for those of you in the room that maybe don't know what a, a SEAL is, typically most people do, but there was this time a girl asked me, so do you work at SeaWorld or something? Uh, no, uh, SEAL, maybe you didn't know this, is actually an acronym that stands for our areas of operations, sea, air, and land. And most people are expecting us to stick to waterborne operations. They're pretty surprised to find out that when bin Laden's killed, it's Navy SEALs that got him. Remember, a lot of people are asking around, is there a puddle in Pakistan these guys came crawling out of? Or <laughs> No. Uh, to kind of give you guys an idea of what my team is doing on land, I was actually discussing uh, some of this uh, on the news just the other day on CNN. You know, it's a big thing that we have American troops over in Iraq and uh, out in even Syria now uh, doing what is called an advise and assist type of operations. And ideally what you do when my team was doing out in Iraq is we're working alongside uh, the special operation forces of, uh, you know, resistance fighters in the other countries. So, for instance, we're working with the Iraqi special operation forces. And our whole duty, our goal is to hunt down some of the most evil men. We call them HVIs, high-value individuals. And so these are the types of guys that make suicide vests and those roadside bombs, IEDs. And to kind of give you an idea of the type of character that makes a suicide vest, oftentimes these guys aren't the ones that want to wear it themselves. In fact, they have such a difficult time finding somebody else to put one on that in one instance over there, they, they took two mentally handicapped women and strapped these vests onto them and shoved them off into a crowded marketplace, setting it off with the remote, uh, killing these women and so many more. So you can imagine some of the cowards we're going after here. Uh, but while we're advising and assisting these Iraqi special operation forces, the assist part is to actually go out and operate side by side with them. And you're there just in case things go wrong. And this actually happened not that long ago uh, out in Iraq. We lost one of our first American soldiers since we pulled out of our, uh, Iraq, uh, Joshua Wheeler. You know, things went wrong and our boys had to get involved. And they pulled off a lot of good, but it's a reminder that freedom isn't free. You know, it's paid for in the currency of blood. You know, on this last operation that I was involved in, we decided to let the ISOF totally take the lead, and we'll be there with them just in case things go wrong. And they actually got a poor source of information that told them about an Iraqi policeman that, you know, was a policeman by day, a bomb maker by night. This is all true. Uh, but what had happened was is that source of information also let that bomb maker know uh, that we're going to be coming. And so we found ourselves really uh, getting set up for the worst circumstances we'd been in on this entire deployment as we're getting set up for an ambush. I think I kind of alluded to that the last time I was here, and I want to get into uh, what happened that evening. But for those of you that aren't familiar, I want to share a little bit of my road to becoming a Navy SEAL. You know, fresh out of high school, going to the local community college, I played a little ball growing up. I was sponsored by Van Shoes for skateboarding, did some competing. Uh, but after a while, I just kind of got burned out on that. Next thing I know, I'm attending the local community college and I'm failing all my classes. And really just because I wasn't going. I'm ditching, partying, surfing with friends, and now it's all catching up to me. I'm pulling into the school parking lot. It's towards the end of the year. It's time to take finals that I didn't study for. And it just hits me like a ton of bricks. Whoa, I'm turning out to be a loser. I mean, I'm turning out to be the kind of guy that no young man wants to be. You know, when you're young, you get told you could be a pro ball player, pro skateboarder. You know, sky's the limit. You can do anything with your life. I began to realize it, it's time to fish or cut bait. I got to do something. So I'm thinking, what am I going to do with my life? I want to do something big. I want to be significant. I want some purpose. So I think I come up with the perfect plan. As I'm sitting there in my truck about to go to class, I go, I know what I'm going to do with my life. 
I'll go become an Alaskan crab fisherman. Yeah. Deadliest catch. I worked on sport fishing boats, and so those guys were like the Navy SEALs of fishing. And I'm thinking, that's what I'll do. It's one of the most dangerous jobs in the world. There's some bragging rights in that, some significance. When this other idea popped into my head, I go, wait, no. Maybe I could join the military and be a part of the most elite, go through the most difficult, grueling military training there is. I know what I want to be. I want to be a Navy SEAL. And so right there, school parking lot, about to take finals, I just decide that's what I'm going to do with my life. I'm going to be a SEAL. And so my first order of business is this. If I'm going to be a SEAL, I don't got to go to class anymore. And so I shorted my truck up and I took off and <laughs> never took those finals. And I got to let my, my, let my dad know some bad news and good news as I presented it. I present the bad news and he's like, Chad, what's the good news? I'm glad you asked, Dad. It's okay. Your son has a plan. You see, I am going to be a Navy SEAL. He's looking at me. I mean, here comes the voice of reason. He's watched the track record of my life. He's like, Chad. Joining the military is not like any of these things you've ever done in the past, like playing ball or skateboarding or going to the local community college, that when you decide you're over it, you can just stop. It says, if you join the military, for some reason you find out it's not for you, suppose you quit SEAL training, you can't just get out. Because you know what's going to happen to you? You're going to find yourself stuck in the military, chipping paint off some boat in Japan. I can't argue with them. I don't have the greatest track record, but I already knew in my mind I'm going to die before I quit. So what do I do for so a typical young guy, teenage fashion, just goes storming out of there, you know, a little furious. Meanwhile, I'm preparing. I'm doing all the running, the swimming, the pulps, the push-ups. For whatever reason, I had it in my mind. I grew up in Huntington Beach, California, that if I want to be a Navy SEAL, I've got to be able to jump off the Huntington Beach Pier, which is illegal, and I've got to be able to get away from the lifeguards. And so I was doing this for a whole summer, this cat and mouse game, always getting away from these lifeguards. I made the mistake one day of bringing a friend with me. This guy was a little slower. He did exactly what I told him not to do. He went hugging onto the pylons of uh, the, the pier, and he's getting all cut up by these barnacles. It turns into this huge rescue. The lifeguards save him. And I'm thinking, oh, no, I ran away. I'm watching from the distance. I'm thinking, never leave a man behind, you know, but he's going to get busted. And so I go walking in there, and I realize they don't know he jumped off the pier. They think he was just swimming on the pier. So I'm telling my friend, hey, you know, Brian, we got to get out of here, man. They don't know we jumped. And he's like, that's all right. You, you just go without me. He's freezing cold. Well, then these people that were at the end of the pier that saw us jump, by now they've made it to the other end of the pier where the rescue's going on. And they just yell out, hey, there's those guys that jumped off the pier. And we get busted, right? Well, this lifeguard, I'm kind of a mouthy, you know, kid at the time. I was really cocky, arrogant. And I'm like, you didn't even catch me. You didn't even bust me. Like, I turned myself in. You're going to get, you're just a lifeguard. You're nothing. I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. This guy's looking at me. He goes, you know what? I know the XO over at SEAL Team 1. You want me to let him know that you're coming? And I was like, oh, no, I don't want that. That's all right, you know. I want to share with you guys a real funny story. See, fast forward about 10 years later. I'm not that arrogant, cocky little kid anymore. You know, I actually became a, a believer. I wasn't walking with the Lord at that time. I'm on staff over at Harvest Christian Fellowship where Pastor Greg Laurie is. And one of the things they wanted me to do when I got on staff is say, hey, we would like you to get into the high schools, into the public high schools and share the gospel with those kids. Great. How do I do that? They go, I don't know. You're a seal. Figure it out. I'm like, oh, all right. And so I decide, all right, I'll start calling up the schools, you know, and, and you know, let them know, hey, I'm a former Navy SEAL. I'd like to get to the school. Well, I'm getting stonewalled. Nobody's letting me in, right? I'm trying and trying, and they're checking on me. How's that going? Getting to the schools. It's, it's not working. This isn't looking good. It's like the first task I've been given, and I'm, I'm failing at it. 
And then I realized, man, I've been going about this my own way, which is the wrong way. Trying to do it on my own power, my own strength. Like, totally wrong here. I have not seeked the Lord first on this. So I start praying about it. Lord, you know what? I'm your property. Your property is in danger, in jeopardy. You need to do something here. Uh, and I just really, just, if you want me to speak in these schools, you make it happen. So I just kind of let that off my chest to the Lord, go down to Huntington Beach, and a lifeguard spots me from a truck, calls me over. And I'm like, no, you come over here. He's like, no, you come over here. I'm like, we'll walk over. I'm like, what's up? He goes, hey, Chad, remember me? I busted you for jumping off the pier. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. This is 10 years later, right? And I was actually out there doing some street witnessing. And I go, hey, man, I just want to let you know that I'm a different person now. And, you know, I made it through SEAL training and everything. And, and I became a Christian. I want you to know that. He goes, yeah, I, I could tell. He goes, I don't know if you'd be interested or not. But I could get you into all the local high schools uh, in the area through a, a program. So I'm like, are you kidding me? I just prayed for this. He goes, I can make this happen. And I still almost did not, you know, believe it until this guy got me into 30 different high schools in the local area. So the guy that busted me for jumping off the pier, 10 years later, the Lord uses him to get me into these high schools. But that's just kind of like a little asterisk side note thing. I'm preparing. I'm getting ready to be a SEAL. Let's go back to my BC days before Christ, all right? And I'm this arrogant, cocky kid. And my dad, he could tell, I've got some issues. And so he decides, you really want to do this, huh? You want to be a SEAL? Yeah, dad, I want to be a SEAL. He goes, great. I set up a workout for you with a Navy SEAL. Check out my computer. And I look over the computer screen. I'll never forget the little one-liner that's there. It says, can Chad come out and play tomorrow? I'm like, dad, you don't know any Navy SEALs. You meet some guy on the internet that says he wants to play with me. And you're sending me off with him. He goes, he's a SEAL, Chad. I'm like. Fine. So I meet up with this guy by the name of Scott Helvinston. And there's more of a conversation my dad had with Scott that I didn't know at the time. But he gets on the phone with Scott before I met up with them. And he goes, look, my son wants to be a SEAL, but he has no idea what he's getting himself into. Biggest mistake of his life. And so I need you to do me a big favor. Would you be willing to meet up with my son? And I'm asking you to bury him. Just crush him. Beat this desire of becoming a SEAL out of him. Hence his email, can Chad come out and play tomorrow? So I meet up with him. He spots me right away. You Chad? Uh, yes, sir. All right, Bubba. I was Bubba from that point forward. Come on over here. This guy's got me doing some pull-ups and push-ups. And sit. next thing I know, he sends me off on a run out into the wetlands. He says he's going to catch up after a little bit. So off I go. Well, I'm looking back over my shoulder like, where's this Navy SEAL? I'm off into the wetlands, like civilization getting thinner and thinner here. I don't know where I'm going down this trail. And I'm thinking, this guy's never even going to catch me. I'm looking over again. And just like that movie... With Arnold Schwarzenegger, Terminator 2. You might remember there's a scene in the movie where the bad guy called the T-1000 can morph into these knife hands and chase down a moving vehicle. Well, that's the Navy SEAL, like a T-1000 coming down this trail. Knife hands, the machine, right? Oh, no, I'm running as fast as I can, trying to keep him back. He catches up, gets past me, and just turns around on a dime. Never saw this coming. I'm greeted by his fist just going right into my stomach. And I'm going for a ride, just clothesline, feet off the ground. I felt the wind knocked out of me before my back even hit that ground. Just poof of dirt like up all around me. And remember, put yourself in my shoes for a moment here. At the time, all I knew was this, is some guy my dad met off the internet. Now it's confirmed, child predator, he's got me. You know, he's jumping on top of me, ragdolling me in the ground, threads on my shirt, ripping spit flying out of his mouth. It's landing on my face. And then I hear these words. He says, you want to be a Navy SEAL, you better stay three paces behind me. And that's when it hit me that this is it. 
this is for real. If I quit right now, I will forever be a quitter. I knew this is going to affect the trajectory of the rest of my life. And so I just reaffirm in my mind, I'm dying before I quit. So he gets up. This goes on for several miles. We finally get to this point where he circles up. and He's walking back and forth. He looks like one of these MMA cage fighters just ready to get it on with the guy across from him, waiting for the referee to say, let's do this. And at the time, remember, I'm this 19-year-old skateboard punk kid. Look, I don't even want to project to this guy, this seal, that I'm willing to fight him at all. So I'm kind of having this self-conversation as I'm looking at him like, all right, Chad, no direct eye contact. Don't set this guy off. Just use your peripherals. Don't look him in the eyes. And he breaks this tension. He says, hey, if we would have gone another mile or two, would you stayed with me? And that's when I told him, just looking kind of down, I said, Scott, I'll die before I quit. And he goes, great, you want to meet up again for another workout tomorrow? I'm like, we got to talk about the flashback on the trail that you had because that was bad, you know, and he wasn't going to discuss it. I'm like, all right. So I'm going back home at first feeling humiliated, but then I realized I made it through a SEAL workout. And I could do this again the next day and the day after that, the day after that. So my daddy can't wait to find out how things went. I'm going for this, from this dragging my feet to it's like I'm excited. I'm clicking my heels. Reaching for that door. He goes, how did it go? And I let him know, hey, Dad, I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. What? He can't believe it. Well, turns out Scott decided to take me under his wing from that point forward. And I went from just being Bubba to I became Junior. He became like a second father to me. And, I mean, we go running, swimming, you know, mountain climbing, you name it. And I idolize this guy. It's everything that I want to be. I mean, he would be just driving. I remember a mom sitting in passenger seat, and he's driver's seat. We're going to do mountain climbing, right? Never even done mountain climbing. Like, Let's do it, Scott. He's looking over at me. He always has these cool stories to share as a seal. He goes, you know, Junior, I was on this TV program one time called Man vs. Beast. And he's describing it. And what it was was a program where he went up against a chimpanzee through an obstacle course, and he beat this monkey, pulled ahead of him on the monkey bars, right? He's the only man to have ever done it. I'm just idolizing. He's everything I want. I'm like, dude, look at Scott's arms. I want my arms to be like his one day, taking weird mental pictures. You know. <laughs> Scott's the youngest man to make it through SEAL training. He made it through a 17-year-old world champion pentathlete, the fastest Navy SEAL in the SEAL training obstacle course. And I get to spend almost every day with this guy. But our time is coming to a close. Because I've got a date, it's set, I signed up, I'm going to go. And one of the ways that Scott and I would wrap up a workout together was we'd just go down to the local community pool, kind of talk about what we got going on in, in life. And he brought up an opportunity, he put it to go overseas again. You know, he says, you know, as junior, perhaps I can make a difference. He's very patriotic. Well, he decides to do it. And so he's leaving just ahead of the time that I'm leaving off to boot camp. He's on the phone with me. He's saying, all right, junior, I'm about to go do this thing, referring to going to Iraq. He says, I just want you to know something that... I've never told anybody I've ever trained before. So I am listening, ears wide open, yeah? He goes, I know you're going to make it through SEAL training. And that gave me all the confidence in the world. And so he's just reminding me of the timeline of things. You know, he says he's going to be back in time to see me go through. We say our goodbyes. Can't wait to see you, Scott. Scott's gone. I'm about to go. I just have a handful of days left. Well, I wake up one day, I'm turning on the television, and boom, there's this picture of Scott on the screen. It's a picture of him smiling, this still image. And I'm like, what? Scott didn't let me know he was going to be on TV for something again. And as I'm just trying to, like, figure this out, I'm just kind of waking up here. I look at the bottom of the screen, and that's where I see in the lower third Scott's birth date, followed by dash, and it says March 31st, 2004. And before I could process in my mind what that meant, I didn't have to because the still image of him smiling went to video footage. I'm telling you, those same arms, I got a mental picture of as silly as it is. 
in my mind to this day, I see those same arms and they're lifeless. As he's laying in the street in Fallujah, Iraq. And very similar to what ISIS is doing today with these beheadings and the burning of the Jordanian pilot, filming it and sending this footage around. I'm watching as this guy that was like a second father to me was, was videotaped as he's just being mutilated. His vehicle was involved in a premeditated ambush and they're wrapping rope around his legs and three other Americans and dragging them through the streets of Fallujah, Iraq, ultimately getting to the Euphrates River Bridge, hanging them upside down and setting his body on fire, chanting in Arabic, Fallujah is the graveyard of Americans. I don't think I need to tell you it radically changed me as a human being big time, you know, seeing this. And one of the biggest things was, you know, I want, I want to be a SEAL not just for me, but I've just felt like everything is just, my whole world has got taken out from underneath me. I need to do this in honor and memory of Scott. I felt like I will have no peace. I will have no satisfaction until I could walk in Scott's footsteps. And so I just really invested everything into becoming a Navy SEAL, knowing or believing that, you know what, I'm not happy with where I'm at right now, but when I get there, that's when everything will come together. All right, so one of the most difficult parts of SEAL training it's called Hell Week. Hell Week is five and a half days long. You get four hours of sleep. And that's not four hours of sleep per night. That's a grand total, four hours of sleep for the next five and a half days. From the very moment Hell Week begins, these instructors have you doing pull-ups and push-ups and sit-ups into the thousands as they're spraying you with hoses. You're shivering cold. This shivering turns into what they call jackhammering because you look like you're hanging on to a jackhammer. You're so cold. As they send you out into the Pacific Ocean without a wetsuit on. The water is so cold it just takes your breath away. And your performance is called surf torture, which is laying down in the surf zone. Kind of like it sounds, it is torture in the surf zone. And they say, we're not letting any of you men out of the water till three of you give up and quit. This is, you, I, have, I dug deeper than I've ever dug in my entire life in terms of just mental toughness and resilience uh, to make it through those surf tortures. That really was the worst. It's, it's, it's hard to really appreciate how how horrible it could be. You know, you just feel every nerve of your body exposed as you got the beach sand, the salt water, you're running over 200 miles during these five and a half days with a boat on top of your head that rubs through the hair, through the skin in your head. All this physical exertion, sleep deprivation leads to kind of a funny thing, hallucination. Now, I remember one of the last nights of Hell Week, I'm paddling around. I grew up watching Ninja Turtles and I look in the water and I see Donatello coming up out of the water. You know, another one, like Leonardo, right? I'm telling the guys, like, the Ninja Turtles, you know. And they're like, where? You know, he's like looking around. Another guy jumps up on the front of the boat at one point. He's throwing this big hand salute like he's George Washington or something. And we're like, what's going on? This is the West Coast, right? The Statue of Liberties. <laughs> where? <laughs> looking back on it, it's pretty funny. But when you're going through it, it's rough. The numbers speak for themselves. Out of 173 guys that started in my class all vowing the same thing, we'll die before we quit. By graduation day, there's only 13 of that original class number still standing there. And that graduation day, I remember where I was at when I looked up and said, Scott, we did it. I got my family, my friends. The moment where I'm getting the trident and the insignia says, I've become a seal, pinned into my chest. This is the moment going all the way back to that parking lot in junior college. Doing this honor and memory of Scott. This is the moment where life is going to come together. This is where life begins. And not only was this one of the happiest moments of my life, but what I was not expecting, what I was not prepared for, was from that point forward, everything really just began to go downhill. 
and I couldn't understand it at the time. Years later, I heard these words spoken by a Christian philosopher, and I thought those words hit exactly what I experienced, nail on the head. Ravi Zacharias, he says, one of the loneliest moments a man will ever experience is when he has achieved that which he thought would deliver the ultimate. And in the end, it lets him down. What he's referring to right there is the human condition, but on steroids. It's something that each and every one of us is familiar with, at least to some degree. It's that whole idea that the grass is greener on the other side. I'm not happy with where my life is at right now, but if I could just get there, then I would be satisfied. And so what happens is we set up goals, we set up achievements, and we have that hunger, we have that thirst, that drive. When we get there, we eat it up, and just like you thought, you are satisfied. But what happens? It doesn't last very long. And so what do you do? Well, you just reason within yourself. You know what? It makes sense. The reason it didn't last is because I didn't raise the bar high enough. If I just go for something bigger, something greater, that will give me that lasting satisfaction. So you thirst after a new goal, a new achievement, and you get there, you drink it up, you're satisfied. What happens? You get hungry, you get thirsty all over again. It's this vicious cycle. Where does it stop? Well, for some people, it never stops. For some people, they set a goal so high, so lofty, that they never get there in their life. And sadly, they die believing, oh, had I ever gotten there, though, then I would have been happy. And then there are those like billionaires. There's one interviewed in Forbes magazine. Hey, if you can go back in time and give yourself a word of advice, what would it be? And his response, this is, catch this, he says, if I could go, I would say, hey, uh, self, when you get to the top of the mountain, there's nothing up there. And so for me, becoming a Navy SEAL, I mean, this is my top of the mountain. I can't think of anything higher. And maybe if I'm not being imaginative enough, maybe there is something else. I just know if this doesn't do it, nothing is going to. This is all life in the world has to offer. And so I was just kind of stuck in this, like, I don't get it. I was actually better off not being a SEAL and looking forward to becoming a Navy SEAL because at least then I had something in front of me to give me drive to invest into. But now that I'd arrived and I'm still just the same guy. One of the loneliest moments a man will ever experience when he's achieved that which he thought would deliver the ultimate in the end and lets him down. I get put on SEAL Team 1. Well, as it happens, SEAL Team 1 just comes home off a of deployment. So they're about as far away from deploying again as logically you can be. And so I've got some idle time. We have 30 days off. And so this is dangerous time for a guy like me because I just felt like I don't feel anymore. And so I just want to do whatever gives me a little bit of stimulation, a little bit of happiness. And I didn't know what to turn to other than, you know, drinking and putting on a front. You know, all my buddies, they think I really got it going on. You got to be on top of the world, Chad. You got to be living a dream, right? You made it. You're a SEAL. And I just be like, yeah, rock star. When in reality, the truth was, I was more miserable at that stage of my life than I'd ever been. And everything just, it really went downhill. I mean, Things came to a head. I wake up one night after blacking out, needing 26 stitches in my knuckles. Come to find out, I went to my family's home in my hometown, spread blood all over the walls. My brother's room, my sister's room, my other sister's room, challenging my dad to a fight. I didn't believe it until I saw the aftermath of it. And they're panicked. They're like, you're going to get yourself killed or somebody else killed. And I wish I could tell you I felt a lot of remorse at the time, but my conscience was just so calloused. I thought it was hysterical. I was like, wait till the guys at the team hear about this. You guys take life too serious. I was just, I was, I was out of it. I had another keg of beer I had stolen with friends. 
that I plan on going and drinking again that night when they're telling me you're not welcome in our home anymore. All I cared about was that it happened to be their garage I hid the keg of beer in. So I just want to get to that keg of beer. And so they're begging me, will you just go to church? Just come to church with us. And I'm just like, ah, fine, here's my plan. I'm going to go to church with them. It'll be over by 9.30 at night. I don't even start my night till 10 or 11. They'll go home. They'll fall asleep. I'll fall right off their radar. Oh, Chad went to church. And then I'll grab that keg of beer, and the night really begins. That was my plans. And so we go. And there happens to be a man speaking there that night by the name of Greg Laurie. And he begins to talk about a soldier by the name of Naaman. Well, great. If I'm going to be here for a church thing, at least I get to hear a story about a soldier. I'm listening. Naaman is a Syrian commander who's had great success in battle. He's got an entourage of men that highly respect him. It says that even the king enjoys Naaman's company. Naaman, it says, he's a mighty man of valor, but what? He had leprosy. And in case you didn't know, leprosy during Naaman's time was a skin disease that nobody had or could be healed of. It was certain death. And so now get this. So much for all this success. So much for this outward man, almost like a Navy SEAL of his own time, when in reality, underneath it all, he's fallen apart. He is a dead man walking. Well, I certainly could relate with that. And I bet a lot of you in here could as well. And so Naaman, he has tried everything. He's exhausted every avenue. It's impossible to be fixed of this. He can't do it on his own. But he hears about this God of Israel and this man, this servant of the God of Israel, Elisha. And he's told he could heal you of your leprosy. And so he's like, yeah, I'll go. He makes a 150-mile trip, brings the equivalent of millions upon millions of dollars in gold, silver, apparel. He's prepared to pay this man off, do whatever you got to do to fix me. He's got all of his men there with him, the entourage. They're knocking on the door, pop, pop, pop. He won't even come to the door. Sends a servant to the door to go relay a message to him. He says that if you just go dip yourself in the Jordan River... Seven times when you come up, your flesh will be restored to you. It says Naaman became furious. I mean, could you imagine? He just came all this way with all of his men. Does this guy have any idea who Naaman is? He disrespects him like this. He won't even give him a face-to-face. So probably before he does something foolish, like take his head off, he decides, forget this. I'm bailing, I'm leaving, and he goes. It says he just leaves in a rage, reasoning out loud. He's saying out loud, I expected him to come out, to wave his hand over this place, call upon the name of the, of the Lord his God, and you know, he's just going, leaving. He expected something big, something flashing. His men are running up to him, they're pleading with him. Look, Naaman, come on. You know if, if he came out and gave you some big, great thing to do, you would have done that. I mean, we could imagine, what if he was told, you want to be fixed of your leprosy? I've got something that only a mighty man of valor could do. This is going to be tough. You know, kick off your shoes and go run over broken glass. we got it lined up for the next 200 miles. Naaman probably would be like, show me where to start. But because it was such a simple thing, just go dip, to him it seemed like a foolish thing. And remember, that's what they say about the preaching of the cross in the New Testament. The preaching of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. But something these guys are saying to Naaman begins to get through. And this is not easy for Naaman. Don't miss this. He's about to do the most difficult. Something that we are all called to do, by the way. He's about to strip away that pride. You know, the very moment where he's peeling away that armor and that clothing, that's the moment where that pride begins to peel away. And he's being transparent, perhaps for the first time ever. 
Maybe his men that had this certain view, they thought they knew who Naaman was on the outside. Maybe his men for the first time are seeing the real Naaman. The Naaman that probably Naaman was afraid that they would see. He's being transparent. He's a mere man. He's not this big, mighty man of valor. And he's walking out into this water in act of faith and trust, believing this God of Israel is going to come through as he dips himself five, six, seven times. When he came up on that seventh time, you know what? The scriptures say he had brand new skin like that of a baby. That leprosy that he couldn't do anything about through an act of humility and faith and trust in God, it was wiped away, gone. Well, this is where it gets personal. And I hope it gets personal for many of you in here as well. You kind of have to have your name and moment. You know, it gets pointed out that, look, Naaman's a certain man on the outside, this mighty man of valor, when in reality we see there's something else going on underneath it all. He had a very serious disease that leads to death. Well, the big question is this. You have to introspect here. Who are you on the outside in front of your friends and your coworkers and your family members when in reality the truth, the real you, there's something else going on underneath it all? Naaman couldn't do anything about his leprosy, and we can't do anything in and of ourselves about our disease called sin. And our disease comes with very serious consequences. The wages of sin is death. That refers to the second death. That refers to hell. We owe a debt. This sin separates us from God. God, he cannot have a relationship with us so long as this sin is present. It says that our sins have separated us from our creator. But you know what? God provided a way out. Just as Naaman was provided this way of escape, God has provided a way out for you and I. And it's not some water. He sent the ultimate veteran, Jesus of Nazareth, to come into this world on a rescue mission. A rescue mission. What was that rescue mission? He declared it to save my people from their sin. Jesus lived a holy, perfect, sinless life, the life that you and I have not and cannot live. That leprosy in the Old Testament is a picture of sin, being spotted and blotted, the blemishes struck through with it. It's a mess. That's how sin is. But Jesus, he was holy and pure, without blemish, and he went to the cross not to be some example of a martyr with a purpose to save us. He traded skin with you and I. He took our leprosy, our sin upon himself so that we could be lavished with God's grace and his mercy. He literally stepped in and died in our place. And not only did he die, but he shows he has power over sin and power over death. Rising again and declaring, because I live, you also shall live. For Naaman... That leprosy being removed started with what? It started with he needed to go to his own funeral. He needed to humble himself. Jesus says, if anyone wants to come after me, and this is that removal of sin. He says, he must deny himself. Take up his own cross daily, follow after me. In other words, we got to look at ourselves and say, you know what? I've done it wrong. My way is not the right way. We slip into sin. And we swim in it. And it just robs you in the end. It destroys you. It separates you from God. But he came in to do something about that. He freely offers the way out. He extends the hand. But let's not forget how much it costs him. 
He paid the highest price he could possibly pay with his blood there at the cross. So we're called to do this. Repent and place our faith and trust in him. Repentance is not just sorry I got caught. It is so sorry I want to disassociate with the old man that was me or the old woman, the old self. I want to nail that person to the cross with Jesus so that just as he rose again from the dead, I rise a new person. The New Testament puts it this way, repent and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. Remember that leprosy being blotted out? That your sins may be blotted out, that times refreshing may come. March 14, 2007, it, just, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I realized that this has been my situation and my problem for all this time. I'm separated from my creator because of sin. You know, a, a big part of me, you know, back then kind of felt like, you know what, I know who God is, I know who Jesus is, but I kind of felt like I've just gone so far down the wrong road, I'm out of touch, like I don't feel what other people feel. And what it was is, is I was never really willing to let go of all of my sin. I thought I'd make little deals with God by giving him like, in my mind, 98% of myself. But I never experienced any transformation, any change. And what the problem was, I had another seal call me out who was a believer. He says, I don't know what your deal is, Chad, but I do know this, is that you're not giving God an empty template to work with. And until you're willing to do that, he will not work with you. When he called me out that day, I knew, wow. But I still wasn't really ready to give up my sin just yet. But this night, I realized this is the time to do it. And so that March 14, 2007, I fully repent of my sin, placed my 100% allegiance, trust, loyalty in Jesus as Savior, save me from sin, and Lord, which means shock collar. That means I look to you to inform me how I ought to live my life from this point forward. And I experienced what the scriptures say that night, that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. That old man, gone. Behold, all things become new. I never went back to that keg of beer. I forgot about that keg of beer. A couple of years later, I'm helping my dad clean out the garage, and he comes across it as I'm standing there. He's like, whoa, what is this? I'm shocked too. And then I remember, and I go, oh, you know, I got a funny story to share with you about that night that we all went to church. Remember when I became a Christian? Yep. <laughs> you know, fast forward, here we are now. I I'm serving as a Navy SEAL and a Christian and finally really feeling fulfillment. All these other things in life that leave you hungry and thirsty for more never satisfies because them in and of themselves can never really give you that everlasting satisfaction because they're secondary in life. If when you have God foremost in your life in his proper place where he belongs, then everything else lines up where it belongs as well. And then whatever you do in word or deed, you do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Serve as a Navy SEAL in the name of the Lord Jesus. You see what happens? You actually infuse eternal significance into something that only had temporal significance in and of itself. That's why Jesus says if you drink of his living water, you will never thirst again. These are the things that leave you thirsty. You'll never thirst again. Why is that? Because the search is over, you're complete in Christ. And then you can do everything in his name to his glory. And uh, one of the things we're doing is going after some pretty evil men that are strapping suicide vests on a mentally handicapped woman. Well, as we pull up to this guy's house, I'm behind the 50 caliber machine gun, watching the guys offload the vehicles. And uh, this guy knew we were coming. He had three firing positions set up. They're barricaded, and uh, just everything breaks loose. We're getting shot at from these different directions, taking effective fire, and ambush is the worst circumstances you could be thrown into. I mean, this is how my mentor died. And so 
the first words I hear that come over the radio, boys, we're getting out of your life, but I need you to push left. Push left meant we're not running away. Without giving away the details, tactically speaking, it meant we're going forward. And so we do what SEALs do best, shoot, move, communicate. We're giving it our all. And we end up killing and driving back the enemy and ultimately getting the guy that we're going after, wounded and alive. I wound up being one of the guys that carried this guy into our own hospital to save our life. That's a big difference between us and them as well. We preserve life wherever possible. But I remember as I was carrying this guy, I was looking at him face to face. I was just thinking... Boy, you are so lucky that the Lord got a hold of me because I don't know what I would have done to you had I not been a Christian. We all came out of that situation against the odds all life. It's crazy, but it doesn't always work out that way. And so I want to finish on this, is that freedom isn't free. You know, it's, it's paid for in blood. If I could highlight some of those that have sacrificed their lives for the sake of freedom, one is Michael Mansour, who was a U.S. Navy SEAL, and he was up on top of a roof providing cover for some other SEALs on the road. When from an unknown location, an insurgent throws a hand grenade up on the roof, hits Mikey right in the chest, falls to the dark. No doubt about it, he had an exit just to step away. That grenade, not his problem. But here's the catch. There's other SEALs that were on the roof with them. They didn't stand a chance of making it past his grenade to the exit. So what's Mikey do? Split second, selfless act, just has enough time to get it off, saying, grenade, as he throws himself to smother it. And it goes off. And he absorbed the blast of that grenade, all the shrapnel, the metal, his body like a sponge took it. He suffered for 30 minutes on that roof before he died. But because of what he did, every single one of those other guys on the roof, they all lived. And so mark these words down in history, greater love has no one than this than one that lays down his life for his friends. That's what Mikey did. My friend Scott, one of the last things he ever said to me is, Junior, when I go over there, perhaps I can make a difference. So although he was killed and dragged and hung from the Euphrates River Bridge, it wasn't in vain. He did it for freedom. Again, those words, greater love has no one than this and one that lays down his life for his friends. And finally, if I could get you to consider the man who spoke those words of greater love, that's a quote from none other than Jesus. And he said those words at a unique time prior to the cross. So think of the cross this way. Just as Mike Monsoor jumps on that hand grenade, absorbing the blast of that grenade on himself. And why did he do that? Answer, so others could live. Jesus, when he went to the cross, he absorbed the blast. Not of some hand grenade. The blast of our sin upon himself. Why? Answer, so that we could live forever with him in eternity. This sin issue needs to be removed. My friend Scott killed and hung from that Euphrates River Bridge for the sake of freedom. Jesus was killed. He was hung from the cross of Calvary so that we could be set free from the eternal consequences of sin. Greater love is no one than this, one that lays down his life for his friends. You could see it in men like Mike Monsoor, Scott Helvinston, and look to the cross. That's the proper perspective. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We have fallen into this hole of sin. And he came to do something about it, to remove it. It says, for he, speaking of the Father, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us. That we might become the righteous of God in him. That word might is there for a very good reason. You know why? Because not everybody will. In fact, Jesus says it himself. He says, wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. 
And there are many that go in by it. He's talking about hell. He says, narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. What's the difficult thing to do? I think the difficult thing to do is what we could call the naming thing to do. Repenting. Stripping away that pride. Pride is how it all started up there in heaven with Lucifer. It's how it all went down in the garden. And from that point forward, I feel that's the biggest obstacle. Repenting. Not just of pride, though, but of all sin. But the moment you do that, humble yourself before God and invest your faith and trust in him to do all the heavy lifting at the cross, to pay for your sin, to be your savior, to be your Lord. He does all the hard work. Then you have God's word on it, not man's word. He remembers that sin no more. Like that leprosy gone, your sin will be gone. Jesus says, if you confess me before men, and I sure hope you realize that confessing him isn't just lip service. It means sincerity of heart. If you confess him as your Savior, your Lord, if you confess him before men, he says, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. You got to get this, that it all comes down to loyalty. It all comes down to allegiance. Is your loyalty, is your allegiance to him or is your loyalty and allegiance to yourself? In reality, it's not to yourself because everybody is a servant of somebody, the enemy of your soul. He's like the ultimate suicide bomber. Suicide bombers, they know they're going down. And what are they trying to do? Take as many people out with them as they possibly can. Satan knows he's going down. He's going to hell. And what's he trying to do? Take as many people out with him as he possibly can. The gospel, though, this message, this is a message he does not want you to know. He does not want you to hear because it's God's power. It is the power of God unto salvation. But God will not force you into this relationship. Like I said, it comes down to that allegiance and loyalty. Whom will you serve? The scriptures say, choose this day whom you will serve. C.S. Lewis says, there's two different types of men in this world. That man that will bow his knee before God and say, God, thy will be done. The other that refuses to bow his knee before God. And God ultimately says to him, your will be done. If you don't want anything to do with God, he will grant you your wish. But... If you were wooed, if you were awed and just blown away, look at the price he paid. It's not like we sinned against him and he's just like, oh, you know, you broke the rules, too bad. He goes the extra mile. We've played the enemy. We've played the fool. What's he do? He comes in to try and save us and to get us out. You don't want to be that man, that woman that stands before God one day. We all will stand before God. You don't want to be the one that says or hears something along the lines of, I sent my son into the world to die for you. And what did you do? You just blew it off. So, like I said, Jesus opens up that opportunity for you to confess him. He calls men. He calls women publicly and openly. And so if there's anyone here that perhaps has played the part of Naaman, you walk in here this morning realizing that you've really got something else going on underneath it all. That obstacle between you and God is there called sin, and you want it removed. And you want to start living a life that really has ultimate significance and purpose that only comes through responding to this message. That obstacle only gets removed through Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can have the assurance that when you die, you will go to heaven. But not only that, not just this fire insurance, right? But while you live here on earth, you live a life that really has true meaning and true value.
Because what you do, you do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So we're going to bow our heads and pray together right now and open up an opportunity for people to do that. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you so thankful, so thankful for the freedoms that we enjoy here in America, knowing they do not come freely, knowing that we have men and women that are they're being a living sacrifice as we speak. And Lord, of course, those that have gone before us and, and Jesus, how he shed his blood there at that cross so that we could be set free of this most important problem, this problem of sin. So while everyone's heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I just ask if you're here this morning, and you want to get right with God. Just like Naaman left that leper scene, did not go back home with it. If you've got an issue that you want to leave here in this building here, leave it with the Lord and walk out of here without it and know that you're forgiven of it, that he paid for it. The gratitude shown to him as you repent and place your faith and trust in him to save you, to be your Lord. If you've realized you've played the part of Naaman, you've got something else going on underneath it all. Who are you when the lights are off and you're in your room all by yourself and all you're left with is your own thoughts? You know that person and God knows that person. He wants to set you free. Let's do it right now. And so if that's you, would you just acknowledge it by raising your hand right now? I'll pray with you. Just hold your hand up so that I could see it nice and high. All the way up, please. I see your hands. There's many of you. Just keep them up. You're going all in. So all the way up, right? Is there anyone else? Maybe you've played the part of a prodigal. You've gotten off into wasteful living. You're a Christian, but doing things Christians ought not to be doing. Today's the day to come home. You want to get back on track? Let's do it right now. Would you join these by lifting your hand as well? Just acknowledge that right now by holding your hand up, please. Praise God. Now, right now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask everybody to please stand up to their feet. If you would, please stand up to your feet. But those of you that raised your hand and acknowledged you want to get back on track or you want to get right with God this morning, those of you that raised your hands, if you would, begin to make your way to the center of the aisle, and I want you to come up front. And if you came with a family member or a friend that brought you here to church today, grab them. I want you to come up here with them as well. And so family members and friends, you support them by coming up here with them. If you guys are up top, come on, make your way down. We're going to wait for you. This is incredible. This is a spiritual battle, a spiritual war that goes on. Perhaps you didn't raise your hand, but you realize I should be up there right now. What's holding you back? I promise you the Lord is not holding you back. Remember, it's choose this day whom you will serve. And so have the strength, be bold. Crucify that pride up there on the cross. Do like Naaman did. Strip away that pride. Humble yourself before your creator. You don't have to be a man-fearing man, but there is one that we do owe respect and reverence to, and that is our Lord. The enemy of our soul, who is very real, you know, C.S. Lewis says, enemy occupy territory. That is what this world is. But Christianity is a story how our rightful king, that's Jesus. He has landed. He came. He landed. You might say in disguise, it says. C.S. Lewis says. But he says, but now he's calling us all to take part in his great campaign of sabotage. 
And that campaign of sabotage is overthrowing the plans of the enemy of our soul. He wants to take people to hell with them. We're here to set others free. So is there anyone else that needs to be making their way down right now? We're about to pray together. Okay. Those of you that are up here right now, I just really want to emphasize that as we pray together this prayer of repentance and faith and trust in Jesus Christ, this is a prayer that sets you free from sin, that gives you citizenship in heaven. But it's critical that you take ownership of these words. In other words, if you don't mean these words, do I really have to tell you it won't be meaningful? And so if you want these words to be meaningful, just think about what you say before you say it, and it will echo in eternity. You guys ready to do this? So repeat these words out loud after me from a sincere heart as we pray together. Let's go. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, but you died on the cross for me. I turn from my sin now, and I ask you to be my Savior. Be my Lord. Thank you for loving me and dying for me. Now help me to follow you from this moment forward. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you for listening to this series. For more information, call 616-534-4923 or visit us at reslife.org.